In times like these, being a citizen is a big job. Thank you for joining us to celebrate the virtues of self-rule and debate the state of our republic. Welcome to the Citizens Prerogative Podcast. This is the voice of your nerdy host, Michael Piscatelli, and we are inspired by a co-host whose passion for our republic precedes him everywhere he goes, Raymond Wong Jr. Thank you. Thank you. I'm feeling rich with ideas for a new economy. Lovely. This is episode number 55. This is part five or plank five in a five-part series, the final episode in the series for five parts. And the title of this episode will be Convert to a New Economy. So you can tell from the title. We're going to be discussing today leading by example, by going all in on converting to a new economy for climate's sake. And as you know from listening to us, it's not just for climate's sake, but I throw that out there. That's the probably the biggest, biggest challenge that we're facing long term. With that, um, let me go ahead and do a little tirade as many of these five part episodes end up being. Um, thank you, Ray, for being so patient as we go through these. So why move to a new economy? I'm going to, I think hopefully you all know some of the answers to this, but let me just state we can no longer rely on endlessly increasing profits, waste, and carbonization for shareholders' sake. We need to build clean local economies and we need to live in the donut of sustainability. And we need to think full circle about resource use. I know that's a a majorly loaded statement, but it's a nice summation of everything in a way we've been preaching in all of our previous episodes for the most part in in one bullet. And why? Why why do all this? The end game is, is so that we all get to live, all of us, including our posterity, get to live in a collaborative And we get to live a fulfilling life within the means of our communities and our biosphere. No more borrowing against the future generations for the greed of those alive today. As you went through the bullets, I was thinking a lot about, you know, our current economy and and people saying, I already hear it, that who, who are we? And who's any of us, frankly, in this economy to say that we should change it? Like who, who's so bold or who has the arrogance to say we should change the system that's existed so well? And I'd push back and say, who's so bold and has the arrogance to believe we got it right? Why would you think that we as a society pulled this off and it's time to celebrate? Is anyone feeling like they're at a party? or are you feeling like you're trying to get in? I think most of us feel like we're trying to get into it. So I would say that the, the biggest transformation in the economy will be when you feel like you're at the table, you're not trying to get your hands in, you're not trying to get that piece of the pie, right? The pie is just something that is a shared common community piece. And if you don't have pie, There's people around you and mechanisms to lift you, to say, oh, by the way, here's your starter pie. 
there is there is a way to make an economy that works for everyone. And the truth is that as the economy is enabled for those at the bottom, those at the top have to work harder. And that's the bad news and that's why they don't want it. And I can't speak for everyone, but those that are resistant, I'm assuming they don't want the competition. And that's unfortunate because competition breeds greatness. We all know that. So many good points there including the idea that the people who benefit the most and enjoy the system we have today are the ones least interested in, like you said, that competition, which is silly, right? Because can you imagine, we love sports metaphors because it's such a a good juxtaposition against business (laughs) because who would run a race in sports, right? I mean, everybody runs a race in sports in order to get your first, second, third or whatever place, but you're not going to run the race if you know it's rigged. You're not going to run the race if you know somebody can club your competitor in the knee and it's okay. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. So I digress on the metaphor, but that one really struck me. All right. So we're going to move into, um, you know, some of what feels like calls to action, but it's really a declaration of what we need to do to dig our way into something better. So this transition, the transition to a new economy begins by focusing on what we propose to be four major areas of reform. The first being in the space of legislation and law enforcement for existing laws. So we've got four four sections under number one for legislation and law enforcement. The first thing we can do is enforce existing antitrust laws. Small business is better business. We've been making that argument. We won't belabor it here today. But we have laws in place today to help make sure that we have healthy competition and that there is no monopoly on you know, various forms of industry. And so we're, we're back in, Ray, like you like to say, we're back in the roaring 20s again, and we have monopolization all over the place. And we need to start using antitrust laws in the right way. In addition to that, we need to promote tax policies that enable small local, sustainable, resilient, community-oriented businesses and institutions for the common good. If you're, if the institution you have, you're promoting, you're trying to sell a product and it really doesn't have any tie back to the common good, we're going to look at that quite skeptically. I don't know how much value there is anymore in microwavable bacon racks made out of plastic. Third point under legislation and law enforcement is promoting the replacement of fossil fuels and old school industrialization with sustainable and renewable systems for life support sake. So this is an area where legislation is needed. We need to transition the economy and the government needs to put in place the right incentives to make it happen. Additionally, we should be providing programs to make every home self-sustainable and grid independent for resiliency's sake. We should not all be living off of this massive centralized grid system anymore. It was built and designed in the days of oligarchs, of monopoly, the days when we had vertical integration over all energy, railroads, whatever it might be, right? So a privateer set up a utility and we all 
paid that company for access to power. That is should not be the case anymore, right? It's a national security issue. It's a X, Y, and Z issue. Um, you know, and we can't put all of our eggs as citizens in one basket. Do we really trust PG&E? Do we really trust all of these big companies to be doing this and being 100% reliant on them? I think the evidence is we should not be doing that. And the solution to that is increasing the resiliency for every household, getting its own power, its own water, managing its own waste to a certain degree. There's so much opportunity and investment to be done there. It's a competition. It's, 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 it's us as people competing with these big businesses because they have been enabled to grow and gain a lot of power. So really it's about us either demanding options, uh, policies are set by our leaders whom we elect. So we have the ability to demand these things as simple as we require all utilities to act in the donut model, no profits, all reinvestment, no sweetheart deals, no specialty contracts, no kickbacks, all reinvestment in the communities you enable. And I guarantee you, if we eliminate profits from utilities, uh, you're going to see a brand new day. You're going to see a shift. You're going to see technology come out that you never thought possible uh, once we eliminate profit from something that, frankly, do you deserve profit when these fossils belong to all of us? Like these fossil fuels and these elements, who do they really belong to? No, that's a good point. Because, right, they're extracting those resources from underneath our feet of our nation for our means and purposes. It's interesting. And just really quickly on the point you represent around profit, if we were to convert all utilities to nonprofits, it doesn't mean employees don't get paid. It doesn't mean CEO doesn't get paid, right? It doesn't mean they're, you know, that just means that all of the net proceeds above and beyond which get reinvested back into the company, the infrastructure, all of that stuff. It's just, it's not siphoned out to shareholders. Um, and you'll like that because uh, there's a model here in Arizona. Um, APS is highly regulated by the government. I've probably mentioned them before because they are, they are a monopoly, a corporate monopoly. Um, and they have that similar donut model requirement in their in their setup, and their employees are all north of our UBI requirements. So they won't require anything, you know, from the citizens. That <laughs> they, they all of their employees make money because they have no choice. They've got all these mad profits because it is a monopoly, and it goes into compensation, just tons and tons of compensation. That's fascinating. That's a great example on the ground in real life. All right. So the second of the four points. Um, so that first one was all legislative and whatnot. The second point here is for um, is to promote government policies with a focus on uh, relationship with community. So what do we mean by this? We mean policies that provide for caregiving at the beginning and the end of life in an integrated community type of way. Right. We we talk um, on this podcast, we've brought up UBI, universal basic income, supplemental income, whatever you want to call it. But the idea that everyone is uh, provided for some floor so that we don't go without food, shelter or clothing. Um, that is, you know, a great support mechanism 
for both the beginning of life and the end of life um, in an integrated way. But when we harken back to the previous episode, we just went through um, plank number four, and we were talking about service core and things like that. I see service core kind of integrating a little bit into these spaces as well. So, you know, you can't take the economy in isolation. It serves a purpose. But the idea that the economy is also concerned with the, you know, with people who are uh, being cared for at the start of their careers and at the end or in their lives, so that it's a uh, very healthy relationship you have with the economy overall. It's your choice when to participate, right? And so Service Corps, UBI, there's a lot of components that go to building the web that makes all that come to fruition. And this is one of the points that's being made here is that overall, when we think about the economy as a system, it should care for the beginning and the ends of our lives and how we're expected, maybe not expected, but the opportunities the economy provides for us to participate as young people and as old people, right? And it could be service court, it could be other things, but it is at the end of the day, kind of an economic function. It's me spending time on behalf of others or vice versa. Whether or not there's money involved is another story, right? Because that comes either via UBI or a company or some other, some other mechanism, maybe service core. The other thing here is around policies that establish systems to help facilitate people's role transitions throughout life. So managing a multi-pronged career path this should be a consideration of the economy. The economy shouldn't just randomly create jobs that people may or may not want because some manager had a whim to write a job, you know, and it doesn't fit into any particular model or whatever it is. Or maybe they wrote the job description for somebody in particular, which is another problem, but we aren't talking about that. This concept of having a system that considers who the employees will be, right? How are we matching labor to the need? Are we designing the need, right, to match the supply? Are we designing supply to match the need? We do neither, neither of those things today. And in a future economy, we need to be smart about it. We need to be smart about these interfaces and these relationships. So I describe it here as like role transitions. And this is including things like serving as an apprentice, a creator, a follower, a leader, a teacher, a mentor, maybe at the end of your days. Some may be taken on simultaneously. I mean, these are all roles that we should all be encouraged as individuals to put on during our lives. And when do we see ourselves doing it? When is it best to be a leader? When is it best to be a follower? What are the conditions or the programs we are involved in in our lives where we're playing those roles? We don't necessarily take an active consideration on that today. And I think the new economy needs to help us in that endeavor or, or the service core. However we fulfill that mechanism, it's, I think, a need that's long overdue. I think that. Um... This made me rethink kind of this corporate model that exists today where you have to really get into that role, right? You have to get the position or you have to do the special project that gives you that networking that shows people you've got that skill. But what if it was more like a hat? What if we traded hats? What if a business said, all right, everyone, this is what it takes to run our business. We need five creators, three followers, two leaders, one teacher, et cetera. And every quarter we're going to trade our hats and you're going to try something different. And if, if you're the best for that hat and everyone agrees, you can stay. 
but we'll trade these hats and you only get a certain number of hats. And when you say you want to hire someone, we're like, we don't have a hat for them. Go ahead and design that hat. Right. And that's just a metaphor. This is an example. But what if we did that? What if we were that conscious? And what if your leader literally stayed in your lane? Because if he saw you didn't have that hat on, he left you alone. They left you alone. What if? What if? What if things were more designed and less haphazard or at the whim of the of the rich, I guess, or whoever, whoever had power. <laughs> See, everyone comes along, just does everything like it was done before. It's like, no, how about we all have the capacity to question things and make them better? Be don't great. be shy. Don't be timid, Michael. It is the rich. We are, and so we've said before, we're just a step above feudalism. And the bottom line is everyone who is a manager is in the position to enable the game, the current system as it's designed they're encouraged to uh, promote it, um, propagate it, and enable it. it. It's just it's and that's just the way it is. Again, and and that's the conscious change. Again, by changing the economy and changing the tools managers have to work with, you change the entire structure of the economy. With that, let's go ahead and take a break. Time for a message from our sponsor, Citizen Do Good. Fulfilling a dream where all possess an intrinsic love for self-rule that is reciprocated with free speech and equal justice under the law? Citizen Duguid values the promise within the Constitution, its subsequent amendments, and the original founding documents. Taken together, they form a framework and an operating manual for our republic that provides us with the means to change with the times. And the time is now to deeply re-examine ourselves and our implementation of governance for the dawning of a new day. We are the proud sponsor of Citizens Prerogative Podcast, a major partner in spreading the good word about civic love and the power of change for us all. At Citizen Do Good, we want to empower all citizens to participate in their republic in a reconstructive way. With that goal in mind, we need your help to stay on mission and grow this community. Please rate the podcast with five stars on iTunes through the app on the web or on your device. If you don't feel like you can give us five stars, let us know why on our sponsor's Facebook page, Citizen Do Good. Also, make sure you sign up for our newsletter at citizendogood.com. You'll get updates every couple of months on all of our antics, not just the podcast. And feel free to share any suggestions you have directly through the Contact Us page. Thanks for your support. It might be because I haven't had breakfast, but... um. You know, as you talk about what I'm calling the a la carte job model, you know, where you kind of go what works or what's what's appropriate for the time or the situation of the project, an idea where people are utilized in that way. I think about the children, right? If we think about schools, how much better could we make schools if the children chose their direction, right? If it was more like the real life where you do learn things just like work, you go to training, you get the training, you apply it practically, things like that. What if it was like that in school as well, where you kind of just chose, you, you had to meet a certain number of credit hours, I get it. But as a student, you had complete control of how you want to grow as a student and let, let them develop through. They will still learn the language. They will still learn the, the, those skills, right? But I wonder if we thought about the new economy just for the adults, um, that's selfish. But if we think about the new economy for the children, 
and create a place where they want to go, where they, they're excited to go because they feel like they own their destiny more than their parents' house, that's going to be a success. What a great vision. You know, I, I think back to, and you've, you've been a trainer, um, facilitator and things like that. And I always think about every time somebody said to me, I learn best by doing it. Just tell me what to do. Let's do it together. Can you show me what to do? Just walk me through it. If I do it, I'll get it. Not let me read the book. Let me study the thing. Let me take a test. Let me, you know, not let me write an essay about it. <laughs> not, you know, I, not to denigrate a lot of the activities we go through to learn certain things. I understand that. But at the end of the day, as humans, we learn best by doing and observing people do things. It's the doing <laughs> that is evolutionarily, right? How we've evolved <laughs> to learn. You have to assume that we've had a, we've not had a language longer than we have had a language. So yes, it's the, the non verbal communication is extremely powerful with the human brain. It's and we, we ignore it, right? We, we think that being alone and doing things in a corner is the best way to do things. Cause that's how our current economy is situated. Like we mentioned, and it's not, it's doing things as a group, failing as a group. A hundred percent. If we take those lessons and, and remodel everything, it could be so much better, but we digress. So I mentioned there's four points to this episode. Let's embark on point three. Major point number three is that the government needs to make resources available to spur advancements in new ways to conduct business and also encourage more sustainable ownership structures like worker-owned cooperatives, or another example might be credit unions, or other types of nonprofits. Now, I know you may have mixed feelings on how we've talked about nonprofits in the past because we don't spend too much time on it, but don't forget that nonprofits can make money. It just means that they don't pay the excess to their shareholders. They have to reinvest it back in their entity which is really sustainable and, and, and really good for things. <laughs> I understand it makes it difficult to raise money on the front end because not everybody's going to get paid out with a payday, but we can come up with, you know, we can totally come up with new ways to evolve businesses into these new states and forms as a path, right? A company may need to raise money to get started, but do they need to constantly raise money and make nothing but profits to return to shareholders as long as the company lives? I disagree. And we'll do another episode that talks a little bit about what this new investment model should look like and what the transitionary life of a business should look like in the future state if we were to leverage everything we've learned and put it together in one system. But we're not going to do that today. We just want to challenge everyone to think about the fact that you know it's our responsibility to make resources available for us to build companies for us the fourth item about changing companies and the structures of companies on the ground today i think we have talked about this in the past it's a good idea and we've seen this in other models of capitalism and and whatnot um, in other countries you can add stakeholder seats to company boards, 
right? And these seats on these boards, remember the board of a company is the boss of the CEO. The board basically is there to oversee the company and make sure it's doing what it's supposed to be doing, okay? And these are groups of individuals across industry, et cetera, that sit on these boards, elites generally. So instead of just having these selected elites, right, the board members pick themselves and or they nominate people and the people who own enough shares vote, you know, there's a little semblance of democracy in there, but only for the biggest owners, <laughs> which is like very much like how the United States originally started, but I digress. Add seats to these boards. We need to add seats for the employees of the company and or their union. This is something that they do in Germany, right? Many companies, publicly traded companies, have representatives on their boards that help keep the company in bounds, whether it be employee relations and other aspects of things that they have to comply with. I would go even further, and I think that there are other examples of this out in the universe um, that make a lot of sense, but we should have seats on boards that are occupied by regulatory oversight agencies, by industry. So for example, if you're a bank, your regulators, your banking regulators should have a seat on your board. If you're an environmental company or a company that with environmental risks like energy, you should have some people similar to the EPA sitting on your board. If you're in agriculture, right? Again, someone like um, the USDA or you know some some watchdog. If it's not a government agency, it could be a nonprofit watchdog. Who knows? Um, these are structures that have yet to be defined. But this idea that there are other perspectives sitting on these boards, right? And helping to oversee, especially if you're a healthcare company, not only should you have employees on your board, but maybe you should have members of the healthcare company, people who are paying customers. Maybe you should have a seat on your board that represents the customers of your healthcare plans to help guide the company in the right direction. If oversight, theoretically, oversight is the purpose of these boards. And then I would even go so far as to say that the Department of Treasury would be seated anytime the government has an ownership or equity stake in a company. So if you think back to the 2007-2008 financial crisis, when the government, the people, we the people through the government took an equity stake in General Motors or an equity stake in these other companies. And at the end of the day, the government theoretically got cashed out when the company recovered. I think a lot of that makes sense. But the one thing we didn't do is get a seat on the board which I think would make also a lot of sense. And I understand there's an uproar. People get upset or nervous because they're like, oh, this is fascism or you know, some other issue or ism. But the truth is, is it's good oversight. <laughs> Don't, let's not get all up in arms about, oh, what, what new economic model is this going to usher in? It doesn't, it's not in there. It's not in any of those isms. Ignore that because those are big... Um, nebulous, cloudy ideas, okay? They don't dictate or describe anything we just went through to any degree, right? This is defining it for us. Go ahead. You need to reaffirm our position in this in this podcast about propaganda, that we don't play the propaganda game. We don't prescribe to it. So you cannot, you cannot use a buzzword like an ism because they're used, they're weaponized by the right right now and they're ruined and they're blown out. So we really have to focus in on the actual context 
of the substance of the proposals, right? You cannot talk about if it's not it's not an ism because that doesn't mean anything. You cannot define anything with a one word propaganda phrase or whatever. It's just it, so that's my piece. Thank you. Yeah, I mean we these are specific policy proposal. There's no ism. <laughs> uh, we digress. Okay, so we get to move into calls to action. These hopefully will be pretty direct, nothing too nebulous here. Um, consider how you, this is similar to many of the calls to action in this five-part series, consider how you or your children might be benefited from such an economy. Having the freedom of how and when to participate in the capitalist parts of our system, how much more freedom you would have in being able to choose to participate, and how your relationship would be remarkably different with a system that is concerned with and aware of your human experience and the transitions that we go through in a natural human life. How amazing would that be? By extension, consider how you might transition between the roles we described. I mean, we talked a lot, we didn't talk a lot about it, but we highlighted, and it'll be in the show notes, the list of the roles from you know mentor to teacher to follower to leader, etc., and everything in between you might leave a comment and propose some other roles as well. I mean, it's not intended to be an exhaustive list. Here, we're just trying to get people to think a little differently about these topics. I liked this one because it was an expansion on the sabbatical ideal. Um, I didn't really think about it through. Like, instead of sabbatical, what about role change, right? What about that flexibility to do something different, to try on an, a special effort? It really does raise... The stakes of what a job looks like, which I didn't even imagine um, that the new economy would include reconsidering how a job day to day may function. And if you're a steady Eddie and you like doing the same thing, believe me, there'll be a place for you. I believe the economy will adjust, right? As people flow in and out for sabbaticals, the system will normalize and you'll just have all of these rotating hats. So it won't matter, right? When that person rolls in from their sabbatical or their other role, you'll say, welcome back. This other person just went on a sabbatical. Here's their hat. And I hadn't considered this before either. You're describing that. And I, I, I realize how good for the brain it would be. All the research we're seeing on Alzheimer's, dementia. What do they say? You know, when you retire, don't stop working. <laughs> if you stop working, you will go into cognitive decline. And it can happen throughout someone's life. You know, if you sit in a corner and stare at a wall, you will experience cognitive decline. That's just the nature of the, the brain. So these transitions, you know, having these transitions as a part of an actual career path, not your problem to solve, but our problem collectively to solve, would be incredible for our brains. I mean, we might even live longer just because of the stimulation we get from constantly having to learn, not constantly, but you know what I mean, going through transitions where quite steadily, often enough, we are forced to learn new things. That's what we, the brain wants to do. It's what it loves doing. And being allowed, being allowed to learn the things we want, right? Because with the ideas of UBI and principles, I mean, if I love learning about Excel macros, then that's my passion and I'm weird like that. But <laughs> if other wanted to paint, that person who's been forced to do Excel macros their whole life because it paid the bills, 
what if they could just paint? What if the company, instead of necessarily contracting out and printing some huge vinyl picture on the wall, they actually let their agent shift to a role for six months and do an art project? Imagine the vibrancy. Imagine the growth. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. Final call to action. Do us a favor. Learn more about donut economics and circular economics. And, you know, we keep throwing about these terms and we've got some episodes we'll refer back to, but it does take a village. It takes each of us to be a little curious and dig in a little more on some of these things. And then we'll suddenly be having some of these conversations with our neighbors and our family and our friends. So explore donut economics, circular economics, sustainability, resiliency, actually anything that we ever talk about in the podcast now, please, is your opportunity to just go do a double take, listen to the episode again, go pick up a book, read an article, whatever it is, watch a show, maybe a documentary. Um, But be curious about the steps you can take towards living sustainably for your sake and our posterity's sake even just the mental exercise of thinking about it. I'm not saying you have to go move to the hills and build yourself a off-the-grid palace. <laughs> but if you want to, go ahead. Um, but you know, just let some of those ideas into your mind for a moment. Let those seeds um, plant so that we can all together sow greater ideas and a greater future for us all in the future. With that, um, I think that's going to do us for this episode. We have been your hosts. Thank you to Mr. Raymond Wong Jr. And thank you, Mr. Piscatelli. I truly am looking at an economy full of hats. Bring the big hats back of the Victorian era. Thank you. I would totally support that. (laughs) We could get people to create new hats. Take an hour from your work. (laughs) Uh, This has been something, that's for sure, as always. Thank you again. For information on this and other episodes, head over to citizendogood.com and click on podcast. While you're there, hit up the contact us page and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from the community. Special thanks to you, our listeners. We save the best for last. You are the best and you have been for years. Thank you for your support. We know it's painful and we love you. Intro music sample from OK Class by Ozzy Jock under Creative Commons license through freemusicarchive.org. Other music provided royalty-free through Fizzly and Studios, Inc.